So, um, yeah, wow, there we go, here I am. And uh, we are going to spend these next two weeks just reminding everyone of who we are. These sermons can get kind of boring, so um, I know I'm going to do my best to uh, try to relate them back to this upcoming series, which I think we're all pretty excited about. And to remind you, that is, we are doing a series this next semester on the Holy Spirit, and uh, we'll have a class uh, on the uh, impact of Pentecostalism in the last century. Uh, we have small groups upcoming. One will be kind of a, um, a Holy Spirit, a small group, which is just about uh, the sermon series and, uh, and talking through that. Uh, Kurt and Don, I think, are going to do uh, biblical literacy. And so for those of you who are really interested or haven't gotten a chance to study the Bible in a while uh, or just haven't taken opportunities to, you can be a part of that small group. And then we're looking for a third small group uh, to do. I had one suggestion the other day, which I thought was kind of interesting. It was Mia, and she mentioned a book that she read called Gray Matters, which seems okay, but the topic was more interesting than the book itself. And that's the idea of how Christians interact with culture, kind of following along with our apologetics talk. And so that's one idea, who knows, uh, but we rely on you guys as uh, the community and as the church to tell us where you think the uh, next small group we should do, where the Spirit may be leading you, and so we still don't have a third small group. So if you got an idea, if you want to lead one, that's cool. Even if you like have an idea and you don't want to actually like plan it, that's cool, I'll plan it for you, and then you just be the body there. Uh, and I'll put an earpiece in your ear and I'll speak through you. At, just kidding. But you just show up and then you've got the material and that's great. We need more and more of you to be willing to do small groups. Uh, it's not near as scary as, uh, as many of you think. Once you get adults in your small groups, uh, they usually have a lot to share. It's not like, you know, your freshman small group where no one would talk and when you ask them questions. Um, so, anyway, I say that to say, uh, please, if you've got a third idea for small groups. And the way that our small groups usually work is we do every other week, and then on the off weeks we meet together, do something in the community, that kind of thing. All right? And those will start, uh, you know, as soon as we figure out what, what the groups are and who's leading them. Um, so, yeah. Also, one more thing before I get going, and that is we had a great, great uh, young professional retreat this weekend. If you weren't able to make it, uh, definitely try to put that on your radar for either the spring or next fall. And basically, we had about 75 folks who are graduates of college that came together at Camp Copus just down the street and did a really fast and furious, uh, I guess it was like less than 24 hour a time where we just got together and talked through issues about career and life skills and how to be a Christian in the workplace. And I just thought it was really encouraging. Um, so hopefully those of you who were there, uh, you know, you did too. And also there's audio, particularly the Friday night talk, which I thought was really great. That was Casey's um, that you listen to about kind of how to be a Christian in your workplace. And so if you need the audio, I believe that Justin already posted that on our Facebook page. Is that right? Yeah. So you can listen to that, and that's good stuff. Um, all right, here we go. Let's do it. So, uh, yeah, one-on-one -on -one is how it's done. You've heard that so many times. Why is that how it's done? Uh, well, I want to relate this back to what I believe the Spirit's role in our lives and in the life of our community really is. And it kind of comes down to just two words in my mind. Now, you kind of got to unpack this a little bit, and that's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to make this somewhat short because I think it would be good for you to go back and really ask yourself, have you bought into the vision and the kind of core values of our community? Because if you really haven't, or you don't understand them, then you may be in the wrong place, okay? Because as a church, we're going to have pretty specific values, like an organization. Hopefully those values uh, are going to resemble the values of Jesus, but sometimes those values are going to be narrow and specific, such as the value of we want to bless and minister to college students. And certainly, at least, you know, I believe this, I believe that Leslie and Kurt, you know, believe this too, we don't want to just recruit anyone and everyone from anywhere to be a part of our community. We want people who feel like uh, they're willing to uh, embrace the core values that we believe that God has given us. And sometimes, some people, that's going to mean that that's, this isn't the church for them, and that's totally okay. And one of the reasons we try to do these talks at the beginning of every semester 
uh, is, this isn't a really great way to say this, but I'm just going to say it, is sort of weed out people who are like, oh yeah, well that's not really the kind of church I want to be a part of. And sometimes that's totally okay. People leave our community and go to other places looking for something that maybe God has called them to more specifically, and that is not a problem. But if you're going to stick around, and particularly if you're an adult in our ministry, you really have to kind of embrace, or at least understand it enough to where you can counter it <laughs> and discern maybe other directions we ought to go in, our core values as a ministry. And so that's why we do these talks, is to try to make sure that at the beginning of each semester, you're kind of on board with what we're doing, all right? And some of us understand that more or less than others because we've been a part of it. And I would encourage those of you who are part of other churches, maybe you're just visiting, it's very important for you to understand the core values of your church. Uh, and sometimes that's hard because the churches don't even understand their core values, maybe. And they're just sort of out to do anything and everything. Um, but that's certainly not us. We have a, a vision, and that vision uh, we feel like God has given us. And it's narrow in some ways, and, and so it's important to communicate that. So that's, that's what we're trying to do in these next two weeks. So the Spirit of God, uh, I believe John 14 through 16 is a, a probably a three chapters that you really ought to read through with some consistency over the course of this next semester. Because Jesus pretty much lays out what the Spirit is going to do in this final culmination of, of human history and the story of God. That what the Spirit of God does in our lives. And there's sort of two things in particular I think that we ought to remember and pay attention to. And that's number one, that the Spirit draws people to God. That, that, that without the Spirit, people would not find God. God reveals Himself to people through His Spirit. Simple as that. The Spirit points back to Jesus as, hey, this is the entry point to, oh my gosh, we can actually understand who God is through Jesus. That's crazy. But even that's not enough. The Spirit draws us into an actual relationship with God where we begin to grow in our faith and understanding of who He is. And that's what the Spirit does. Okay? Because I can read Jesus and I can be kind of impressed with Him. But I can also be, you know, uh, kind of of the opinion that he was a pretty de decent teacher or kind of a wise dude. But without the Spirit of God informing me about some of these mysterious and deeper qualities of who Jesus is and how that reflects the God we serve, we don't have any chance to approach God. And this is just how God in his wisdom has, has developed our world, our earth, to draw us in through His Spirit. Which is a very interactive, one-on-one -on -one kind of thing, which is pretty exciting, uh, actually. And, uh, and so the Spirit draws us. Number two is the Spirit builds up individuals and the church. Builds it up. It, 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 what Paul says when he talks about his ministry through the Spirit of adding to a foundation. The foundation is Christ. That's where you got to start. But the Spirit does all the building on top of that. Because certainly most of us probably wouldn't want to live on just a foundation. We kind of like walls and windows and central heating and air and all that stuff. Well, all of that stuff is what the Spirit does in the life of a believer and in the life of a church. He's in charge of it. That is how God has designed this whole building up of the individual and of the community of faith. All right? So draws and builds, draws and builds, draws and builds. I think those two things ought to kind of, uh, you know, frame and structure how we think about the Spirit's work within us and uh, among us as the people of God. Draws and builds, draws and builds, okay? Here's the problem. Too many of us think about the Holy Spirit as being primarily responsible for our own individual holiness and ethics. When we think about the Spirit, we primarily think about that He's saving us to be these holy, kind of ethical, good, nice people. The problem with that is that's not talked about near as much as the Spirit's mission of drawing and building up the church. And when it is talked about that the Spirit is saving us to be a different kind of people, it's always discussed in the context of His drawing and building up uh, drawing people to God and building up the church. Now, I'm, I think I might be making a slight point and uh, maybe a semantic point. I don't know, but let me just reiterate it. We tend to isolate the Spirit's influence in our life to ethical principles. To prove that, think about what we most associate with the Spirit of God. What is it? Justice? That's you, Lorraine, but that's not us. That's, yes. What do most of us, when we hear about the Spirit, think? The fruits of the Spirit. 
And we think, oh, kindness, gentleness, you know, the Spirit is building us up into these really wonderfully great people. Here's the problem. There's literally only one of those fruits of the Spirit, self-control, that has to do with me. The rest of them have to do with communal life. Gentle? What, what am I going to be, gentle to myself? I mean, I guess, but don't think that's really the, the emphasis of being a gentle person. That's taking the power that you have, harnessing it so that you don't run over people. It's others-focused. The fruits of the Spirit are all about the Spirit drawing people to God so that, you know, a, a whole new person that's being developed so that people around can think, oh, maybe this God thing is really true. This person definitely has the Spirit of God inside of them or something that helps them communicate who God's character really is. And building. So we've got to kind of overcome this very narrow understanding that the Spirit is within, inside of us just to save us and make us kind of nice, holy people. Actually, no. That's our agenda often is to like kind of get better as a person. Growth, self-help, all that stuff. You can't sign on to the Spirit's agenda just for your own agenda. He's got his agenda. You can sign up for it and be a part of it. And you'll be holy along the way. But he's going to be drawing people to himself and to God, right? To the overall, you know, Trinity type theological stuff, which we won't go into too much until later on. Um, and building up the church as he sees fit. To, to, to impact the area around the church, the local church, and around you know, individual believers wherever the culture they're in. So that's just important. And I just want to make that point because I think, you know, in, in our lack of theology on the Spirit, we've just kind of gotten a little mixed up about what the Spirit is doing among us and in us. And if we, we narrow this down to individual holiness and being ethical, uh, we'll particularly make the mistake of either individualizing the Spirit uh, or uh, even worse, um, making him out to be this sort of great self-help book uh, that we pretty much control. And that's no good. So, that's point one. Well, it's actually, actually not a point. It's like a pre-point. That scares you, right? Because you're like, oh gosh, this whole thing. All right, second pre-point is that Jesus very much carries on the ministry that he had here, which was a one-on-one -on -one ministry, which itself is mind-blowing, really. Because you would think that if God was decently smart, he would do what we try to do and build churches and have, you know, revivals and have these large gatherings where we can really efficiently save people rather than have to kind of, you know, oh my gosh, Samaritan woman, that's like half a day. The tax collector, that's like 24 hours wasted. Jesus carries on his one-on-one -on -one ministry in the world through the Spirit in us. It's really great. God's always been one-on-one -on -one with people, whether it's leaders of the Old Testament, whether it's, you know, small, insignificant people who make huge impact uh, in their, their uh, you know, countries, whatever, to bringing that forward to the day Jesus works in us one-on-one -on -one through his spirit. It's, it's God's ministry, one-on-one -on -one with us. And so it would be crazy of us not to, as a people, imitate that kind of ministry. All right? And so that's one of the main reasons why we do one-on-one -on -one ministry is because we look at God in his wisdom, we look at Jesus, and he focuses one-on-one -on, -one on people. And so we're going to follow that, okay? We're just going to follow it because we, we don't know how else to really do ministry, um, and, uh, and so that's how it's going to work. Now, I say all that to say, and I'll, we'll, I'll get to this kind of in a moment, Certainly, one-on-one -on -one ministry is incomplete without the group and the community of people. You know, and we've got to be careful about that. Leslie and I were having a conversation about how a lot of us, particularly millennials, they're kind of like losing their understanding of what church is. A lot of us come to church and we're like kind of annoyed we have to be here. We're like, yeah, I mean, I kind of have to, but like, why? It's like the songs, tired of Brad's mannerisms and his teachings and things like that. Like, it's just like, oh, let's get rid of this. And, you know, one of my favorite things, I'm going to out Wiley Church here, which is really not a good idea, is it? Especially when I'm being recorded, but no. <laughs> one of our other churches moved their time to Saturday nights. And one of the consistent things I've heard from young people is, yes, yeah, so much better because it's almost like it, it, you know, we have my whole Sunday free and, you know, you don't even know it. So I'm not doing anything otherwise. But people are rating the communal experience for how kind of like, convenient it is. <laughs> I think probably that's a good idea 
uh, for us about how insignificant we generally think the large group gathering really is. And, and, and so we're, in some ways, and what we're really going to do, I'm going to give you a few things I think that are important to understand, but through this series, talk about um, just how much the Spirit is supposedly doing things when the people gather. One of the big things we've lost, I think, in our understanding of the Spirit's work is just how much He works as we gather. And maybe one of the biggest mistakes we're making on churches on, uh, on Sunday morning is that we're just simply not paying much attention to the Spirit's influence among us. Because, you know, the gifts, which we've all individualized. Ooh, what's your gift? What's, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a this guy, you know. I'm, a, I'm an administrator. Oh, really, are you? That's so great. I am prophecy. There's nothing that should tell us that those gifts apply outside of the community gathering. Because Paul doesn't say that. He's addressing their being given as people gather. So if we start talking about us having these individual significant spiritual gifts, well, maybe that's true. And I think that probably is wrapped up in personality, maybe more than other things. But at least when Paul talks about the community gathering, he says the Spirit is actually gifting people beyond what they are able to do. And so, um, yeah, you know, we're going to have to kind of resell this whole church gathering thing to millennials, which I think is fine. I think that gives us uh, some opportunity to kind of cut back on all the other stuff that just came through tradition and to get back to some of the basic stuff and make it a really thriving and exciting kind of spiritual experience. Uh, and, and maybe that's what the Spirit is doing in millennials all across, uh, you know, I guess post-Christian societies. I don't know. Whatever. All right. So, point one, because I haven't gotten any points yet. He draws. Yep. He draws. He draws, right? He draws. He builds. He draws. He builds. Yes. John 14 through 16. I already gave you that. Uh, I'm going to move through these pretty quickly. Don't worry. It's all good. Uh, number one, uh, in this point, A. Point 1A. 1A, Roman numeral 1, dash. Okay? Is that helpful? Note takers. You take your notes and then you'll never look at them again. You didn't pay any attention to anything I said. You just got notes. Good for you. I'm glad you got notes. Uh, all right. Guys, one-on-one communicates. Uh, this is a theme in our church a lot, and I think it's an important one, particularly in some of the things that are going on in our culture. One-on-one communicates the dignity of each person. It just does. I mean, you know, if God really and, 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 uh, you know, did ministry in his time period the way that society did it, my goodness, he would have spent time with pretty much nobody that he spent time with. <laughs> one-on-one communicates dignity. And, and this, is, this is probably one of the single most ingratiating? I don't know what that word means, so I'm not going to use that one. But um, wonderful, there's one I, I do know the meaning of, thing about God that proves in my mind how good he is. Is that, that, that everybody has dignity. And that the people who, as Paul talks about in the body of Christ, who lack dignity in, in society or in culture have even more dignity in the body. It's the upside down world, the paradox world. But one-on-one communicates the dignity of all people. And, and this is really important that as we do ministry, we start one-on-one with people. The goal isn't to get everyone here and to give them a really great sermon and hope that some people show up at small group and then maybe hope down the line I can build one friendship with someone over five or ten years. We flip it upside down. We start with the one-on-one. We should all have, and should is a weird word, but get to have relationships with a variety of people in this community outside and we start one-on-one. And then if someone after their one-on-one relationship with us wants to come to small group because that, you know, is embracing their, uh, you know, growth and whatever else, that's great. And if they finally want to come to church, that's great too. We talked about this last week when it comes to, uh, you know, a lot of outreach efforts. If we simply start with bringing them to church, you've started the wrong way. You've started the opposite direction. (laughs) Now, some people, church is kind of a good starting place for them. But more and more, church is a weird experience for a lot of people who haven't been in a while. It's like, what is that karaoke service? What was that? That was strange. Okay? What was that guy even talking about? I mean, you think about some of the things we talk about up here, and it's like, what? That, there's no reference point. So one-on-one communicates dignity to people and allows God to work where they're at, and that's very, very important. The ministry of the church is becoming more and more necessary to be done on one-on-one levels, simply because people just don't, 
look at churches and have the same kind of honor and, and place and position in society. They just don't anymore, at least not in post-Christian societies, okay? And so God uh, uses us, and that's actually really good news um, because, uh, number two, uh, within this, or B, or whatever, I don't know, whatever you want to do, is one-on-one ministry convinces us that the Spirit really does work in the mundane. This is one of the things that I think for Christians, they really want to believe, but it's hard for them to believe. As you see people interacting with Jesus in his ministry, they didn't want to believe that Jesus was working in these mundane situations. They wanted him to do miracles over and over and over again to prove that God was really at work. But what they didn't want to do was do the work of understanding how Jesus' life in the most mundane details of it communicated God's glory and goodness. Because that's too much work. It's just too much work to watch Jesus interact with that person who I already have all of this sort of negative feeling towards and see how good he is. No, it would be much better if he just does a miracle, I can go home, tell some people about it, and believe in God. Well, the Spirit works in the mundane. I mean, you know, if the Spirit is truly going to draw people to himself, he's got to work through mundane situations. If the Spirit is really going to build us up and save us from all the habitual sin we're a part of, it's got to work in those habits that we have which are incredibly small and insignificant and common. And you look at Jesus and in the most mundane situations, as he's walking to get water, he has this experience with the Samaritan woman. As he's walking in glory, which most of us would be like, eating it up, he sees the little dude in the tree. And story after story and story of the Spirit of God working in the mundane and insignificant. But that stuff's not near as fun to tell stories about, and it's, it's more of a gray area because we're not for sure if it's God working, and, and it's just more complex and more difficult. It requires a common relationship with him to even notice a lot of that stuff. And one of the real signs of immaturity is when we expect the Spirit to do miraculous things among us. Does the Spirit do it? Sure, of course. But it also can be very much a sign of immaturity to expect that, as if that's the, you know, common way the Spirit works among us in, in miracles. Jesus consistently in his life downplays miracles. And, and it, there's even a... a very interesting point here that when he does do miracles, he tries his best to make those miraculous on a one-on-one level. Hey, I just healed you. Don't tell anybody. Like, don't tell anybody. (laughs) Over and over again, he does that. So that the significance of the miracle wasn't so much so that everyone could be impressed, but that someone could actually be healed. Uh, That someone, you know, Jesus could touch someone to communicate some mundane fact in the process of healing them. And this is really important. Uh, a couple years back, I, well, this is like five, seven years back. I don't even know. Um, in the apartment complex I was in, this guy hit me, all right? Now, <laughs> I love getting hit, okay? Now, there's a reason for that, all right? Some of you might think this is unethical behavior, and I don't care. Oh, not punched. In, my, in the car, sorry. <laughs> no, I don't like getting punched. That's not fun. That is unpleasant. That's about as unpleasant as it gets. He what? Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to teach you guys a life skill real quick uh, in the process here. So he ran into me in his big truck. I had this really junky Hyundai Elantra. It was like old, back before Hyundai's were even like good cars, whatever else. Well, when I get hit, there's two things that come into my mind. One dollar sign and another dollar sign. All right? Here's why. Most of the cars that I drive aren't that great. Uh, I had one really expensive truck for a while, and that was pretty cool for like five months, and I sold it. But um, when I get hit, that means somebody owes me money. And I like when people owe me money, because that means I get free money, okay? Now, again, some of you might think this is uh, is unethical. I don't, but I'm just going to put my sin out there in front of you, possibly. (laughs) When someone hits me, technically they are responsible for fixing it. And, and, you know, they have insurance. And so their insurance is supposed to fix it. Now, what I do is I go get three quotes. I get a really cheap quote from someone I know. I get a midway quote from just a regular car place. And then I get a really expensive quote from a dealership. And I'll take the least, you know, expensive quote from the person I know. And then I'll tell the person, hey, this is, you know, what you have to pay. So at least that's nice. But most of the time I pocket the cash. Nothing wrong with that. It's not legal. It's not bad. Nothing. I, I, it's my, my car. I can decide whether to fix it or not. 
They hit it, not my fault. That's just a life skill for you, okay? Um, I, it's like hail damage, right? You can get a check from hail damage. You can fix it if you want, but you don't have to, and it's great. So anytime someone hits me, uh, and now I'm not like going out trying to get hit, okay? <laughs> Please, I'm not like secretly like waiting behind people's cars as they reverse on, quickly pulling the spot, and I'm like, oh man, you hit me, that's a bad one. Um, but anyway, I got hit in the apartment complex, and this guy, um, he was like, oh man, I hit people all the time, and I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, so my insurance is like expensive. He's like, I just pay you cash. And in my mind, I'm thinking like, yeah, that's like the best deal. Uh, but then my, my mind wanted to be like, oh, charge him a lot. And of course I didn't. I went even lower than what I estimated it would be, and it was. And so anyway, the point of this is that this guy ended up being pretty involved in our, uh, our college, uh, our transition ministry. And it's still to this day, uh, someone who's very, very involved in the stuff. I, t- I t- said way too much about that backstory. Uh, that was totally unnecessary. Um, <laughs> the point was, in the mundane of him hitting me, he, I took an opportunity to talk to him, and apparently my, my behavior wasn't too unethical because he came to our church, so uh, he felt like it was pretty ethical. Uh, some of you are shaking your head like, what? How did that have anything to do with the points that you're making? The points I'm making are even in the most mundane situations when someone hits you in a car, there's an opportunity for God to work, and God was obviously working. This guy divorced his wife, uh, well, she divorced him three years later, and he was devastated, and it was really our community being in his life that made it even possible for him to get through those next couple years. It was a really terrible situation. She had cheated on him, a lot of other stuff. They had a kid on the way. It was just awful. But God was doing something there, even through my gray area ethical behavior, okay? Um, And that's so true. We tend to set out to try to do stuff. I'm going to evangelize this person. I've got a mission for this person. And yet the Spirit is far more knowing, right, of, of our own life, and Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians that the Spirit knows us better than we know ourselves and knows God better, or knows the mind of God perfectly. And so you put those two together, and he's got a plan for the things that are going on around us. And that might be a small and insignificant, you know, car incident. It might be a time when you got mad at someone. Anything and everything is open territory and open season for the Spirit of God when we pay attention to him. Uh, and it's when we quench the Spirit, which is a very common phrase, uh, that we get into trouble because we, we basically close a door for him to be able to work in a situation. And guys, we do that a lot more uh, than we, we think because we have these routine behaviors that we tend to think that, uh, that are going to be where the Spirit's going to work. And, uh, and he says, no, nah, I'm going to work over here instead. But that's just God. Why is that so hard to believe that the Spirit works in the mundane? I mentioned this yesterday when I was speaking to the uh, young professionals and I... I'm proud of this because I, I steal so much material from so many other people. So when I come up with something original on my own, I'm kind of like really proud of it. Um, I don't know if you'll be proud of it or not. But uh, I, I, I'm calling it the four horsemen of culture, okay? That's my new thing. Maybe that's a book coming up. I don't know. Uh, I'll probably have like one page to write on it. So it should be probably like a small article. Uh, so the four horsemen of culture. Uh, the, the first two that I think kind of go together are achievement and progress. And, and what, what's significant about this? Well trying to answer the question of why is it hard for us to believe that the Spirit works in, our, in mundane situations. Because a lot of us, we just don't see it. We don't experience it. This is one of our, uh, you know, the kind of gaping holes in our relationship with God, is we don't feel His presence among us, even though He literally is in presence in us at all times. It couldn't be anything more strange than that, if you think about it. You know, people in the Old Testament... Uh, time period uh, would long, and, and it's, the scripture talks about longing to have the presence of God back with them. They made a huge mistake. Come back, God. We've got him inside of us, and we don't ever feel close to God. <laughs> there's, there's an irony in that. There's a really strange irony, and I think a lot of people who uh, lived pre-spirit uh, in dwelling times would have looked at us and thought, what is wrong with y'all? Just like we look back at them and think, what is wrong with you guys? Uh, so, yeah. Why is this so hard to believe? Well, four horsemen of U.S. culture. And those, those horsemen, you know, bringing about the end of times, they come back over and over again to human achievement and effort. And if there's one thing you can't really do when you're thinking about God working in your life is expect that you're somehow going to add on to what he's already doing. <laughs> like, well, it's like, a, you know, the Holy Spirit's not a deductible plan, you know? Uh, you don't, like, pay a certain much up front and then he's going to meet you after about $500 worth of effort, okay? Um... 
I thought I'd get a lot more laughs about that. I don't know if you guys don't have deductibles or you don't understand what a deductible is. Do I need to stop and explain that? Because I feel like that was really good. No? Yeah. It's all right. All right. Thanks. It wasn't funny. Good example, but not funny. Thanks, Tad, for clarifying that. I appreciate that. I work on that. Good example and funny. Yeah. Uh, Achievement and progress. Uh, This is just tough for us. We want to see our effort producing things and to see some trajectory of, of progress. And the Spirit just doesn't work like that. Spirit works in the ebb and flow of people's lives and, and in seasons. And if we have some measurement system for progress and achievement, we're going to fail every time because we're going to impose our own ideas of success on someone and our own small, narrow, human metric system. One of my favorite quotes from this Polish guy, I've used it before in here, um, but he's a Polish guy that during World War II moved to the United States and was just aghast at how he thought American culture was a lot more advanced than it was. Seems like that's the theme. People come to America and they realize, I thought you guys, oh, you have a good, good self-presentation. Then we get here, it's like, no, not so much. Um, and his 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 favorite line, uh, or my favorite line of his, is, "Is it progress if a cannibal uses a knife and a fork?" I love that line because what he's ultimately saying is Americans have this tendency to look at their technology as progress, and then completely ignore the fact that that's such an insignificant sign of progress. Mark Twain said it very similar once as well, and still one of my favorite quotes, we now have the ability to send a telegraph from New York to Texas in three days and still don't have anything good to say. (laughs) Same thing. The idea that we have a tendency to look at our our technological progress as a sign that we're moving forward, but just because I can talk to someone now immediately doesn't mean I have anything good to say. That's not progress. Well, we do the same thing with the Spirit. We have our metric system for, you know, what should be you know, done in a person's life. And if we're not careful, uh, that metric system is totally separate from uh, the Spirit and God's metric system for how, uh, you know, things ought to go. Achievement and progress. The second kind of pair of those four horsemen are uh, activity and efficient, uh, efficiency. Americans are so busy all the time and uh, we love to present ourselves as being busy even when our busyness is not really busyness. It's just activity. It's not, we're not doing anything. We're just busy. We are obsessed with the idea that constant activity will produce results. We're like, you know, quantity over quality. Just do a ton of stuff and hope that something gets produced at the end of that. (laughs) Who cares if you know what you're doing or are paying attention to it or have seasons of rest and replenishment? Well, that's not how the Spirit works. The Spirit doesn't work through our constant activity. God isn't just, you know, throwing a net out there and hoping some of the stuff sticks. He's spearfishing. He knows exactly what people need. He knows exactly what situations they're most open to. And we're the ones that are just sort of throwing our activity harried. You know, we'll do this, we'll do that. Just fill up my schedule and hope that at the end of the week I feel good for at least being active. But part of the the key of following the Spirit of God is recognizing when God is working and doing things and, and responding to that. Not just hoping that somewhere in our activity we're doing something that He wants us to do. And so I, I just say that achievement and progress, activity and efficiency, and you can kind of think more about this on your own, these are impediments or obstacles for us seeing the Spirit work because we have our own value system that we impose on the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God doesn't fit those things, we don't see it as God's work. Well, that's the wrong value system. It doesn't work like that. Those values aren't biblical values. Those are American values. Cultural values. And we've got to really try to sync up with the Spirit's value system if we're going to uh, be able to see uh, how He works. Second point, though, and and I don't have very much on this one, but is that He builds. So He draws people in almost any and every situation, and that communicates dignity to them. And the second thing is He builds. You know, you go back and you read Galatians, which is really all about the Spirit of God working among His people. The church in uh, Galatia was a series of, of churches in a region that had long been aligned with, uh, you know, the Roman West. And, uh, and they were a pretty straight and narrow group, okay? The Jewish people there saw themselves as, you know, some of the most devout Jewish people in all of the eastern part of the empire, okay? 
And what that meant is that they had a real tough time transitioning from the law to the Spirit. And Paul is trying to remind them that the law is not going to save you. It will only show just how you are unsavable. And if you really want to live in accordance with the Spirit, you're going to have to recognize that there is no law. That the Spirit will accomplish the law within you. But there is no trying to do it based on your own effort or activity. And that's all Galatians is about, right? I mean, it's just all about trying to convince these people they don't have to become, you know, Jewish or go back to the law uh, before they embrace the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has its own agenda. He's working. You don't have to go back to this old legalistic system to figure out how to live spiritually because it's an ineffective system. Because it's based on rules and principles and inevitably human rules and principles get mixed up in that. But the very Spirit of God is God communicating to us how we ought to live. So he builds up. The, the Spirit builds up our church. He builds up us. Uh, you know, A or B or whatever point of this one is, you know, the Spirit, one-on-one ministry makes experience, uh, experiential what is usually theoretical. What I mean by that is that uh, we have a lot of ideas in our mind of how we should live and what we should do, but one-on-one ministry brings that down into the level of experience. Americans uh, are really, really, really good at having strong beliefs and strong values, but when it comes to practicing those, uh, one of the biggest ironies is, is this postmodern millennial uh, group, which I am a part of, barely. And so sometimes I, I'll say I am when it's, people are saying good things about us, and then I'll distance myself from the rest of you when people are saying bad things. Um, but postmodernism is so tolerant of everyone, right? We love everyone having their point of view. And yet you look at millennials and postmodernism uh, and people just hang out with who they naturally get along with already. It's, it's, it's tolerance that's really not tolerance, but it's ignorance. It's, I'm not tolerant of your worldview. I'm just going to stay intentionally ignorant of it so that I'll call it tolerance. I'll, I watch a lot of millennial people who are unable to be friends with people who are very different than them. They surround themselves with people who are like-minded. Uh, wait. What happened to tolerance? What happened to this idea that everyone has, you know, a belief in something and we ought to respect that and be okay with it? And then we just can't talk about any of that reasonably. And when someone disagrees, we're fighting and we're, you know, we just don't have an ability to really do that. And I see this even, you know, in our church sometimes as we have a tendency, particularly when we graduate, to spend time with people we already get along with. And focus, you know, we are at least, you know, put around people who are pretty different than us. But when we get old and our energy, you know, sort of depletes, we just really want to be around people who we kind of get along with. Well, good for you, but that's just you, you know, finding a mirror friend that will mirror back to you uh, who you are and what your values are. That's not God working. Not at all. That's what people do. That's what society does. When I go to the motorcycle club in the morning where all the guys there are cool and no one wants to talk to each other, and, you know, I feel a little bit lonely. I'm not going to tell anybody that because I'm going to be tough, you know. But that's, Chelsea uh, pointed it out the other day. We were at a bike reveal, which we had another one this morning, but a couple weeks ago. And these two guys that I'm kind of close to in this group, Chelsea's like, they're not even nice to you. I'm like, yeah, actually, that's kind of true. <laughs> like, here I am. Like, these guys are like my friends in the bike club. And like, no one's really nice to each other or anything or talks to each other. Or People are just like a bunch of guys. I mean, you go, any of you been to uh, West Oak Coffee Bar uh, on Sunday mornings real early? It's just guys just kind of by themselves, like sitting around like, uh, people already do that kind of stuff, you know? I mean, uh, so the church shouldn't be a place uh, where, where that happens. But um, yeah, uh, the Spirit makes experiential uh, what is really theoretical in our lives. As we interact with each other, it's not okay for me to say, yeah, you know, I'm really growing in gentleness, and then, you know, turn around and yell at that person who did something very minor to me. I can sit and point out, hey, I thought you said you were really trying to grow in being a gentle person. <laughs> That's what one-on-one ministry does. We're not, we don't just sit around and allow each other to get away with having these high and lofty beliefs and values without calling each other out on it. That's really what one-on-one ministry is about. Uh, Willie talked about it uh, maybe a couple months ago, about honest fellowship. So I like the way that he was, uh, was phrasing that. And that's why one-on-one ministry is really important. It's because it brings all of that theoretical stuff that we say we value and believe, and it brings it into experience. That's not a bad thing. It's not just about calling people out. It's about having the freedom that comes along with the Spirit making you into a gentle person. Not having to be angry about every little tiny thing that comes your way. Because there's something very frustrating as a Christian to know that I ought to be a gentle person 
and then not really growing in that at all? Well, part of the reason we don't grow in it is because we don't have enough one-on-one relationships for people to call us out on it. <laughs> That's how the Spirit works in community. Building people up through the discernment of the Spirit around us. And if I'm in a place where there's just not a lot of one-on-one relationship, well, I'm going to have all kinds of really wonderful sermon ideas in my head and never bring any of that theoretical stuff into experience. And the Spirit is all about us experiencing the freedom of God, the freedom that comes through salvation. Salvation is not knowledge, okay? It starts with knowledge. Law was knowledge. It is the experience of being saved as we interact with each other and the Spirit grows us in those areas. And then, of course, the Spirit, uh, or one-on-one helps the Spirit uh, help us discern the truth more readily. Um, this is one of those really weird things. I mean, you know, we, we use the word uh, discern, and a lot of times what, what, what's brought up in our image is us discerning whether or not this is a good path or not. Yet, go back and look at the biblical usage of discern, and it's always about people discerning together whether or not the Spirit is leading us in this direction. We have very much individualized discernment. And discern just means to separate in Greek. It's just to separate. Okay? And by definition, in my mind, separate means that we're going to have a bunch of separate ideas, separate people who the Spirit's going to work on, and we're going to come together and discern those truths. Uh, and yet, again, we've, we've done a really uh, disservice in individualizing a lot of that discernment. So the one-on-one ministry helps us discern the truth more readily as the Spirit works in us. Um, so pretty much my entire middle school and high school days, I figured I was going to go be a pilot. All right? Just always kind of just, I know some of you guys know that or whatever. And, uh, and then later on in life, about uh, maybe 10 years later, I was going to go be a, a doctor. Not a doctor like I am a doctor, but a doctor that actually helps people. Um, Both of those careers, right, both of those careers would have been very, very time intensive and would have allowed me in some ways to kind of wander uh, and do some of the things that were really helpful for me. If it wouldn't have been for the people of God discerning how the Spirit speaks to me, uh, there had been no chance I would have had of not going and doing those paths. Both of them, probably. The first time would have been doing a pilot. And now I got a drone, and that's like all I need, you know? Chelsea keeps being mad at me for mentioning drone in every conversation, but I have a drone. I'm a drone pie. If you want to see my drone certificate, a registration, I have it in my bag over there. I'll show it to anybody who wants to know. And what do you think I'm doing after church today? I'm going to get it laminated at the FedEx Kinko's. (laughs) Does anyone know if the FedEx Kinko's is open on Sunday? Because it is? Great. Thank you. I'm going to go get it laminated. Six, six o'clock. Josh, do you want to get your drone uh, certificate laminated with me? Okay. Try to work on that. All right. But now that I'm like up in the air, okay, with my drone, I'm like, man, I think the only reason I wanted to be a pilot is because I really wanted like a good view, which I'm pretty sure like that's not what pilots do, okay? But had I pursued that path without discernment, who knows where I'd be? If I would have gone and, you know, been a doctor, I probably would have paid a couple hundred thousand dollars in loans and then done it for like five or six years and on to something else. That's just what I do. I change careers like every couple of years, all right? But it took discernment for God to put me on the path that, uh, that has been most beneficial to my faith, and I don't regret it at all. I just simply thank him for the discernment. Some of us need to be much more, uh, you know, uh, open to that kind of discernment. All right, uh, that's pretty much all now that I've gone like way over my time. I'm doing a really good job with that. I tried to do two-point sermons, and that doesn't even help me. So from now on, I'm going to have to do one-point sermons. Uh, because maybe I can get a one-point sermon in that 40 minutes. Tabby, you seem skeptical of that? You don't think I can do a one-point sermon? All right, well, whatever. <laughs> Whenever I preach next, which is like a couple weeks out, I'm going to try it. One-point sermon. Uh, oh, I'm not done, by the way. Uh, let me give you a real note. Did someone say, oh? <laughs> Haley. <laughs> No, it's worse. You said that or Austin calling you out so early on in your marriage. I don't know. That's... Um, okay. Uh, so, real quick. And I, I'm just going to list these. And if you want me to tell you them after, that's great. But, uh, so, why meet in small group then? Uh, in, or why meet in small groups and in big groups then if one-on-one is how it's done? Uh, this is a real question. This, this, is not, this is one I struggle with, guys. As, as a leader of a church who at least has like set activities to do on a Sunday morning, I still struggle with coming to church. And it's not because I don't want to see any of you. I, I, I like that. I think I just, there's something about church that's, 
I don't know. What is it? You know? It's just not... I, you know, Leslie and I have talked about it often, and Leslie, well, she's also very spiritual, um, but has an association with church that's positive and that's, I just don't have that. I don't, that, it, it's more, I have to think through, why am I here, what's the, all right, well, whatever. Later on, I'll share that one. All right, number one is shared values of the community. Uh, if we don't have shared values and we're not together enough to talk about those things, our one-on-one relationships are just a bunch of mini-me relationships. I'm just trying to make someone into my image. If we don't have values, and particularly if we don't come together together in our different personalities and our different ideas to represent who God is, we're just going to be making people in our own image. Uh, and that's no good. That's bad one-on-one ministry, okay? Uh, lost in the vastness of God. That sounds like a book. Um, seriously, though, this is one of the things that we struggle with. The experience of all coming together and just being sort of lost in a humility of God is big, God is doing things. This was one of the reasons megachurches have become so popular. I really believe a lot of people love just getting lost in an audience. Uh, and, and this isn't a bad thing in my mind. This is just symbolic of that we, we feel so individualistic and we feel so kind of on our own that going and being in a, a group where we're just overwhelmed by size just makes us feel like we're part of this vastness. Uh, and in a group like this, that's just harder, right? I mean, we just don't feel that. Look at us, we're in a community center with, yeah, you know, I mean, and it's smaller, and we just, that's, it takes more work to sort of, uh, you know, feel that and, and experience that sort of vastness of God's kingdom. Uh, and, uh, and that humility that comes from it. It, it. it goes a lot back to the Sabbath. I mean, one of the main purposes, guys, of community gathering is to remind us that God is working even as we're not at our jobs. I mean, that's really kind of one of the, the main things about community gathering was that, hey, I'm off work. I'm just around the people of God, doing what I do, and, and, and the world is still going around because God is good and, and God doesn't need me to be working, you know, uh, uh, for these things to happen. I can follow the Spirit, whatever else. All right, another time. Um, already talked about this. The Spirit does speak more clearly. Uh, we often don't experience that simply because we have such a set agenda. And I think probably that's part of the, the thing that, that is difficult about church is there's just such a set agenda, right? I mean, I'm, I've been up here for the last, like, what, 45 minutes, 30 minutes, 20 minutes? Um, talking from my own perspective. And you're just a captive audience. Well, yeah, the Spirit works in me just like it works in you. How many other messages probably ought to have been presented this morning on this topic that weren't me sitting in my office, you know, five minutes before church this morning and coming up with a sermon? Um, I thought that would be funnier too, but that wasn't funny. I really struggle on this. Uh, disconcerting. Okay, sorry. Uh, touching up. Five minutes touching up. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. Um, so, in our gatherings, trying to incorporate more of a, you know, the Spirit speaking through us and us discerning those things is one of our real goals this semester. Because I do think that's one of the things we've lost. And all of this, like, almost liturgical set way of doing it. Uh, and then for... Uh, simply because, um, you know, uh, many of us are weak and alone in our faith. We need practice. <laughs> Some of our practice just comes from being around the people of God. Uh, and, and, and then just being able to talk and being able to pay attention. And a lot of us look at church as just this useless meeting. Like, okay, maybe it's just me. I'm like projecting this on everyone. But like uh, uh, yeah, my wife, you know, she's looking at her, shaking her head. Um, we don't have a purpose. We just sort of come together and here we are and yeah, and then great, whatever else. But yeah, this gives us a lot of, uh, of pride. There's a, lot, a million things why big group and small group is important and we'll get into that a little bit later in our series. All right, we're going to uh, move into our uh, uh, communion time. And I, yeah, that uh, wasn't a very good point. I wrote it in like a different pencil and so I can tell it was just like a last minute add-on. So I'm not even sure if I want to repeat it. Plus it's four points. I usually like three better. Okay, all right, I will. Uh, yeah, I know. Seriously? <laughs> All right. Uh, so, um, I'm going to have Josh come up and, and, uh, and share a little bit. Just, he just, you know, I asked him to write something um, about one-on-one ministry and the impact that's had. And we'll move right into communion time um, after he, uh, he shares. And that's one of the things that uh, definitely through the sermon series we would like more of, both planned and unplanned sharing. And so I appreciate Josh for being willing to to do that. And then Josh, will you pray for us? And then we'll move into our communion. If you don't know, we do communion pretty open here. We'll have people around. It's kind of loud. We celebrate. Noise, celebrate. Dip the bread into the juice. 
And if it falls into the juice, please don't try to dig it out. Just <laughs> get another piece. All right. Cool. I'll yeah. consider praying at the end. There we Thank you, Josh. Uh, so yeah, I'm Josh, and I was asked to share how one-on-one ministry and community has affected me, or impacted me. So I'll just read from here and try not to look up at all, and try not to sweat. Uh, so one-on-one ministry is the heart of Jesus' time on earth. For me, the significance of Jesus' work began, began four years ago when I came here to study at UNT, and I came across Focus during my first week. It was here that my journey with God began to form and influence the very root of who I am, what I believe, and how I approach the hardships that I encounter. Uh, anyone who remembers me from freshman year knows how I was, and I don't apologize for that. Uh, God found me in the dark and brought me into the light, and he will do that, uh, he will do that for you too. He worked through others to reach me where I was so I wouldn't be alone, so that I could see his plan for me. I was shown love, given respect, trusted with responsibilities, challenged on my mistakes, and encouraged to keep working hard. I am so grateful for the people who have and continue to reach out to me. It is through these godly relationships that the Spirit is invited into our lives and is able to work. The Lord is able to challenge and build us up so that we are made in his image. It is the Lord who takes my strengths and uses them to bolster my weaknesses. It is through one another that we find God. How we long for friendship and how great is our God to give that. What a privilege to have such a loving and gracious God who wants us to live together in community. God meets us where we are and pushes us to to take the next step closer to him. God does not lie on the surface of our skin, but instead he lies deep in our hearts and souls so so that we may look past each other's flaws and mistakes so that we can really understand what God is about. I was asked to include some practical steps on how to build these relationships and how to grow closer to God. Uh, So first, uh, make it a goal uh, to move out of your comfort zone. Uh, God is going to move you out of your worldly life and transition you into his world. Some examples of this are developing friendships to a level you may not have ever reached before, adding or removing a specific part of your life to reflect Christ, and educating on who God is, or even accepting who you are and asking God to meet you where you are. Second, reshape your idea of love so that, it, uh, so that it emits outward onto others. God's understanding of love is far different and so much better than our understanding of it. Sharing this practically can be as simple as serving a, a person or God for the, for the glory of God. Being there for a friend or desperately, uh, who desperately needs someone or giving all of your worries, problems, and sin to God. The root of one-on-one ministry is sharing God's love to show the joy and freedom that lies on this planet. It is through him that I find joy and purpose in, in this life. He is the one who is capable of change. He, is, he removes my stains so that I can see myself as someone who is loved and has been given a purpose. God is real. He is the only one who can change you in a way that nothing else can. You can experience God, too, if you seek him. Uh, God, thank you so much for this church, this body, and all the people who um, make purposeful time to uh, reach out to me and to um, everyone here. And just thank you for giving us the, the, the option of having community, and thank you for the grace that, you, that brings that. Uh, thank you for Brad's sermon today and just how, how we need to consider how impactful Jesus' ministry uh, really was. I just pray for the communion, and thank you for the people who made it, and uh, in your name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week, and you can get more information about that at dentonnorthchurch.com.